Hi, I'm Dave Baggett. I'm the director of the Center for the Foundations of Ethics, previously called the Center for Moral Apologetics, at Houston Baptist University, which in this fraught cultural moment of eroding moral foundations exists to explore the ultimate questions about ethics. What explains intrinsic human value, for example, or what accounts for authoritative moral obligations or essential human equality or basic human rights? We aim to foster a community of scholars from an array of disciplines to delve into these questions with care and rigor. In the process, we hope to highlight the evidential significance of bedrock and axiomatic moral truths when it comes to matters of the human condition and ultimate reality. In June of 2022, we will be kicking off our certificate program in moral apologetics, a four-course sequence on the history of the moral argument, a course defending moral realism, a course defining and defending theistic ethics, and a course that reveals the shortcomings of secular ethical theories. So check it out on the HBU website and at our own website, moralapologetics.com. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Ronan, Montana and Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. This is the fifth season of the Bellator Christie Podcast, Episode 1. Uh, we're going to talk about near-death experiences today. And the word of the Lord comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, which says, But we are of good courage and prefer, prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, everyone. We recognize in today's world... Uh, of so much chaos and, and madness, uh, we want to be a place here at Bellator Christi. Uh, you can you can think on God and who He is, and you can be inspired to dig deep into His Word and come out unshaken in your confidence of the truth. And that's what we try to provide here at, at Bellator Christi in multiple different ways. Brian and I were talking off air just recently, just a second ago, about about uh, different levels of articles. The popular articles, which would be something that would be normal public talking and stuff and such. And then there's also large academic um, articles and, and it was with deep scholarly input into them that really need to be taken in. And I think it's a good thing that, that everybody um, is, has been uh, involved in engaging with the Bellator Christie website and, and getting in there and, and looking some of this stuff up. We certainly do appreciate it. And each time, Somebody uh, looks something up. We just know that uh, they're coming out blessed on the other end. So let's go ahead and welcome on Brian. Hello, Brian. 
Hey, Curtis, and by the way, talking about uh, the articles, uh, last week was a blockbuster week at bellatorchristie.com. We had a ton of viewpoint, uh, viewpoints, ton of views, had a lot of viewpoints too, <laughs> had a ton of views on the website, and guess whose article made the top ten? <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> your your last article did. <laughs> but people are all about the pumpkin spice. <laughs> that pumpkin spice, my goodness. Yeah. Well, and you know, mentioned it one just because I was like, I'm sitting there as I was writing it, I look over at the look over at the 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 uh, landscape at the in the house and or at, uh, in the yard, and I see my wife's got pumpkins out and all this, uh, you know, all this basically fall festival stuff, and I'm just like. Oi, oi, oi. <laughs> and I really love the point you made at the outset of the podcast there, Curtis. And you're right, because at Bellator Christie, you know, we're, for, since the very beginning, we've, we have, uh, uh, the goal has been to take academic thoughts and bring it down to the popular audience. And so at Bellator Christie, you can find academic articles and you can also find popular level, level articles. And all of them are very important. And we're thankful for all of our, uh, all of our writers. We are getting people, our, our contributors more active, uh, involved, actively involved in the website. And, um, in fact, coming up next week, um, so this will be airing, um, uh, coming up, um, what was it? October? Uh, what's Sunday? October seventeenth. Coming up eighteenth. The eighteenth will be another article by Michelle Johnson, and so we're looking forward to uh, her contribution. And then week after that, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, our newest contributor Justin Ang- Angelos uh, will have oh, yeah. his first article on Bellator Christie. I think he said no. he told me uh, he's excited. He said he's already written it up and ready to roll. So uh, looking That's forward good. to seeing what he has in store for us as well. That's good. That's good. So um, we've got our uh, season five, and this is our episode, first episode of the season, and we're going to tackle a big topic. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and uh, it's something that I, I've been praying about, and I pray that people come out on the other end of this, um, you know, understanding where we sit with God. I think it's it's a... It's an important thing, so I say we go ahead and get started. Let's do it. Okay, so let's just start out with the first question then. What are NDEs? Okay, so NDEs, uh, it's a a very fascinating thing. NDEs uh, first came about... Well, let me first of all go ahead and define what they are, and then I'll go back and explain the history of it. A near-death experience occurs when a person dies and has conscious experiences outside and beyond the body. Uh, and quite honestly, these experiences are not new. They've, they've been reported for, for years, if not uh, thousands of years. Um, but they've really gained traction in, in recent years. Uh, the term was actually first coined by French psychologist and, and epistemologist Victor Egger in the 1890s. He called these conscious experiences that occurred after death experience de mort imminente, uh, which literally means experience of imminent death. And so the interesting thing about this is that people are having these conscious experiences 
outside the body. And a lot of times people will talk about, especially in Christian circles, well, there's no commonality in these experiences. But actually, that's not true. Uh, There are great similarities in these uh, experiences. And I actually have a book. I'll I'll try to look it up as we're going through the podcast to see if I can't find uh, some of these commonalities. Uh, But uh, I know that there are... uh, Certain percentages, well, uh, well, no, that's not it. I thought I found it. But there are percentages of people who said they have seen uh, a bright light, which is God. They've seen angelic beings. They may have seen loved ones gone before. Uh, they may see, you know, scenes in eternity that are uh, that are above and beyond. Some people, a lot of people report having experiences that are more real than reality. And uh, seeing even colors uh, that are not even seen on this side of eternity. So uh, there, are, there are a lot of similarities in these experiences. And as we go through this, I'll try to find the reference uh, in the book by John Burke that mentions uh, these, these similarities. And if I can't find it here, I may mention it on the next podcast. Hmm. So was, that, was the psychiatrist that you were talking about, was he a Christian? That I don't know. That that's a that's a good question. I, I I don't have the answer to that. But hey, how about this? I did find the uh, information I was looking for. And uh, so, core NDE experiences. Doctor Long uh, reports on the percentage of each core element described in his study of thirteen hundred NDEs from across the world. And this, this isn't one location from around the world. 1,300 common experiences. 75.4% of individuals who have NDEs report out-of-body experiences, a separation of consciousness from the physical body. 74.4% uh, noted heightened senses, said that they're more conscious and alert than normal. 76.2% of individuals report having incredible peace, uh, positive emotions or feelings. Uh, 33.8% lower percentage, 33.8% report going into or through a tunnel. Uh, 64.6% of, being, uh, of individuals or these experiences report encountering a mystical or brilliant light. 57.3% denote uh, encountering other beings uh, such as angels, deceased relatives, or friends. 60.5% of people report an, a sense of alteration of space or time. 22.2% of people report having a life review. report encountering unworldly or heavenly realms. 56% of people report encountering a learning or or learning special knowledge. 31% report encountering a boundary or a barrier. And 58.5% report uh, the awareness of a decision to return to the body. And so um, while some of these are, are more similar than others, uh, there are, while there are differences in the experiences, which we can expect that to happen because different people are you know, different individuals and, and would, would have different experiences, there are indeed a great similarities uh, or a lot of similarities to these experiences as reported from 1,300 cases globally. That doesn't mean that that's, that's only 1,300 that were re- 
re- have been reported. That's just no. 1,300 that, that are in that, in that case study? Th- th- that's just 1,300 that was in that particular case study. What they're also finding is that the number of people who have NDEs are probably actually higher than what is known because um, those who've had uh, critical uh, instances, traumatic experiences where they die, come back, uh, a lot of times people may either have trauma where the brain uh, suppresses some of the the events that happen around that time to protect you know to protect itself and then other times people have these experiences have these encounters but they never report it for fear of being seen as as, as loopy or weird or or being castigated from their society uh, people already know I'm loopy and weird so I, I don't bother me but <laughs> yeah yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, even, I, I tell people because I've had an encounter myself where I've experienced angels uh, on three different occasions, two of which were where where the angels were seen by other people in addition to myself. But uh, when I have told people this in the past, I've been amazed at how open other people start becoming when they understand that I'm not going to criticize them for telling their experience. But okay. so many people have, have suppressed these, these story, stories and haven't told anyone, but they'll tell them to me because I've had that similar experience. Not an NDE, mm-hmm. but had uh, an encounter with angelic beings. So I think there are a lot more people who've encountered miracles and who've encountered spiritual things like this, but they're too afraid to report them because we live in a hyper-cynical and skeptical world. Yeah. We may live in a hyper-cynical and skeptical world, but we also live in a world that's parallel to a supernatural world at the same time. Amen. And Curtis, I want to say two things. I want to share this. I'm actually going to be speaking at a conference. Uh, Well, it'll be the conference. I'll be speaking at the conference prior to the release of this podcast. But I want to say two things that 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 I've found working in hospice ministry and I can't go into any details about particulars with any any person but there are two things that I can say conclusively after having worked there a year one the spiritual realm is very real when when a person reaches the end of their life there are some very interesting things that happen and and having been there by the bedside, in fact, you know, working in an IPU, an inpatient unit, I probably see more deaths than even a lot of the hospice chaplains do because I'm right there with them as they pass. There are some very interesting things that have happened. But two, I want to, and I want everyone to listen to me very carefully because this is so critically important. There is a marked difference between the death of a believer and the death of an unbeliever. I can't go into details, but all I can say is this. There is an extremely different feel to it. There is an extremely different aura about it, if you want to call it that, uh, of the passing of a believer from one who's not. And that is anyone who works in hospice, anyone who works in, in this type of area, or even in nursing homes can probably tell you the same thing. So, can NDEs fit within a biblical worldview? 
Well, I, it depends on what you mean by a biblical worldview, uh, because as you know, uh, these days a lot of people have different viewpoints, and so I think that if you have a view that is um, that relates to the text of Scripture, and you and you allow the Scripture to speak for itself, I believe they absolutely can. Uh, speak within a biblical worldview. But now, if you have a worldview, and there are some denominations and some believers who have this opinion, that uh, that all of the human existence is the body and nothing more, then you're going to have a harder time with NDEs than, than someone who would say that uh, the soul lives on past the body. Now, I have heard some people say, uh, I have heard some people comment that the the Hebrew view was that the body was one and the soul doesn't exist apart from the body. That that is hogwash. Yes, no. <laughs> if you look at the Old Testament, no. I mean even what well, is it Solomon I believe who said who yeah. said that uh, that that when a person dies, I believe it's in Ecclesiastes, the soul returns to the to God who gave it and the body returns yeah, to dust. To dirt. Yeah. So that's yeah. hogwash. That's a completely hogwash view. Yeah. So, what is the intermediate state then? So, this is important for us to understand theologically because we call this state the intermediate state because it's, it's a transition period from one state of existence to another state. And so, let me explain. We know in Scripture that we're told that Christ is going to return. Christ is going to come back. And when he does, uh, was it 1 Thessalonians tells us. In fact, let me get my Bible here and I'll just read it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, and by the way, this is a creed. This is a creedal formulation in this passage of Scripture. Let me turn to it real quickly. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, that's correct. Hey, I got to Timothy. I went 23. past it. Do you have it with you? Yeah. Go ahead and read it for us. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's that's the good one. That's a good one. But let's back up a little bit here. Um, let's see. Talking about being caught up. Oh, okay, wait a minute here, I think. All right, here we go. Chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want okay. you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you do mm-hmm. not grieve, as indeed the rest of mankind do, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. This is a creed here. So also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, through Jesus. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and remain will be uh, until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, be caught up, parousia, or rapture, if you want to call it that. Then those of us who are alive who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Now the question exists now. We know that's coming, but the question is, what happens to us between the timing of our deaths and the return of the Lord? 
that rapture event, that parousia event, if you want to call it that. This is what we mean by the intermediate state. This is the time that exists between our deaths and the resurrection or, or the second coming of the Lord. And that is wherein the, the, the critical debate about NDEs is found. What do you do with our existence, our state of existence, between the time of our deaths and the return of the Lord? So that's the intermediate state. Hmm. And, I mean, so that was that was caught early on in, in church and in church history. Oh, yeah. Um, that idea of the intermediate state and then the, the the Catholic faith took that on to a different level, didn't they? Well, they did, but but I, I've got something for you, and I'm gonna and this is actually gonna come okay. this is gonna come after the, the conference. So I'm I'm gonna okay. break up I'm gonna break a bit of historical information uh, that's going to really, I think, be blockbuster information. I've never seen this before. It's going to be blockbuster information as we go through the different theories uh, as to okay. what the early church believed about the intermediate state. Hmm. So can you explain the difference between these two different views, um, monism and dualism? And, can, you know, write in that idea or that, that, uh, that those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're talking here about monism and dualism, the important thing with philosophy or theology or whatever we're doing is to understand the terms and to understand how they're being used in that particular concept. You know, before the podcast, we were talking about creationism. Creationism, in one sense, is talking about God's creation of all that exists, but in the in the human sense about the soul and body, it's talking more about does God create the soul and infuse it with the body, or or the more tradition sense, or does the soul come whenever the body first begins? So it's used in a different sense. So when we talk about monism and dualism, we're talking about how people view the human state. In monism, generally speaking, uh, monists deny that consciousness or a human soul exists separately from the, hum- for the from the physical body. They contend that the brain produces consciousness through chemical reactions and the like, giving the impression that a person is a conscious soul. And believe it or not, there are actually groups of Christians who hold similar viewpoints, as amazing as it is to think. There are actually hmm. Christians out there who would argue that this is the Hebraic viewpoint, which, hang tight, we're going to give some information that's going to show that's not the case. So in contrast, dualists, and let me say here first and foremost, Stanley Grins, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, Stanley Grins is a theologian, uh, actually a fairly popular theologian. He holds to a monistic interpretation of the human state. he, he does. But now, in contrast, there's the viewpoint called dualism. Dualists contend that a person consists of a body and a soul. While the two interact, they are two different substances. Dualists often argue that the two are meant to be together, but that death can bring a temporary separation between the two. Dr. J.P. Moreland of Biola University is a strong proponent of substance dualism, otherwise known as Cartesian dualism, which argues for the 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 the, the fact that there or the, for the idea that the soul that there is an immaterial self 
an immaterial part of us that exists separate from the material side of us. And so this is what we would call substance dualism or dualism in general, not just substance dualism, but dualism in general, that there is a distinct immaterial self from the physical self. And the two can coexist and, and, and exist in a separate form. Or that the soul can exist apart from the body. So I do know that there's another view that's kind of kind of out there with this. It's called the trichotomy view. Yeah. Um, can you can you kind of maybe briefly go over that and and see where maybe um, see maybe where we can kind of maybe fold that over onto the dualism side? Yeah, absolutely. So the trichotomy viewpoint views that instead of being there being two parts of a human person, that there are actually three parts of a person: body, soul, and spirit. The um, what you have though is when you talk about the soul, uh, you're talking about the, normally speaking, the mind, will, and emotions, uh, that conscious self that makes us who we are. The spirit is that, that uh, living force within us. It also has that connectiveness to the Holy Spirit where when the Bible talks that the Spirit of God speaks to our spirit, it's that, mm-hmm. that aspect, that pneuma part of our, of our selves, of, of who we are. Now the question is, does the soul exist separate from the spirit? I don't. I don't really think that it does. I think people like Norman Geisler, if I'm not mistaken, would would argue for overall there being a dualist perspective. So, in other words, whenever whenever we die, it's not just the spirit that leaves us and the soul remains, or it's not the soul that leaves us and the spirit remains, but that the soul and spirit are part of one immaterial self that's separate and distinct from the soma in Greek, the body. And so you could even say that that soulish part of a person or the immaterial self consists of soul and spirit and still be that immaterial entity, um, which is a good possibility. You know, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. But I still think whenever we, for us to be that immaterial person that we are, there, need, there has to be some form of unity or connection between soul and spirit. And so in other words, when we pass the soul and spirit in this immaterial wholeness goes to be with God and instead of just one aspect of that. Mm. And let me also say here too, um, which we're going to go through the, 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 the different theories on the intermediate state, I'm not wholeheartedly convinced that when our souls return to the body, that our bodies are going to be just the same old physical body we have now. Uh, the Bible talks about it being the pneumatikos soma, the spiritual body. There's going to be a brand new set of physics. I think it's going to be an infusion of spirit and body together. So I don't think it's just going to be the same ho-hum body that we have now. I think it's going to be supercharged. I think it's going to, it's going to have a whole new set of physics. And in fact, if you want to see what this body is going to be like, look to the resurrected Jesus. Mm-hmm. Think about the resurrected Jesus. He was able to yeah. dematerialize and materialize in a room as, as if he walked through walls, ate rolled right. fish, and then was able to disappear and reappear miles down the road and, and even be seen by 500 people in a physical, material form. But that's not the same type of body he had before he was crucified, died, buried, and resurrected. So the Bible talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't mean to get off on this, but I love talking about the resurrection. I love talking about this stuff. 
the Bible says that Jesus is going to be the first fruits of the resurrection. So as right. he was resurrected, so shall we be resurrected when that time comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you think about uh, uh, the road to Emmaus. Um, oh, yeah. You know, they, they, the disciples didn't recognize him until he revealed himself to them. Does that mean that he blocked their vision or their ability to see him, or was he in such a different state that he that he actually was different until he was able to um, open their eyes? And then he broke bread with them and ate and then disappeared. So, I mean, yeah. It, it's not the same old ho-hum body. It is a, no. <laughs> it is a spiritually infused body, supercharged. It's, it's as if the spirit and body... Are, are together in some sense that it's not now. Um, I mean, you think of Paul when he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Um, he saw Jesus as bl- blinding light that was so bright that it created scales over his eyes and probably damaged his eyesight for the rest of his life. Um, you also see John when he sees Jesus in his glorified form in the book of Revelation chapter 1. Uh, now, while I think some of that's metaphor, I still think a lot of it may be literal because of the fact talking about the strength and power and brilliancy of Jesus in that new state. Uh, it's going to be a lot. It's not going to be the same old ho-hum body that we have now. It's going to be supercharged. Right. The, yeah. the thing, this is the interesting thing, and again, I don't mean to get off on this because I know we've got a lot to talk about, but one of the things I love about the superhero uh, movies and stuff like that, you yeah. see them, people flying, you see people doing all these things. Yeah. I'm not trying to turn the Bible into a comic book, but I have to kind of wonder if we, if our glorified bodies may not have some of those supercharged abilities you know, like that. Maybe that's a foresight into some of the things that we'll have with a glorified body. I don't know, but it's interesting to think about. Yeah, and isn't it interesting, as as human nature is, we pick up and we recognize certain capabilities of people, you know, you could say superheroes or, or um, even, you know, even people talking about, uh, you know, zombies or ghosts or things like that. We pick up on things intuitively knowing but we don't have any basis for it unless we come to the scriptures. That's a good point. Mm. So can you list some of the problems uh, with monism? Yeah, so, so there's, there's a lot of problems with monism. One is, uh, is that um, there seems to be that there's evidence out there, and we really don't have time to go into it right now. That would take a whole other podcast. There really seems to be evidence to suggest that um, that that the mind is separate from the body. Uh, mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of data out there. You know, uh, procedures have been done. For instance, one one case that J.P. Moreland mentioned was uh, whenever uh, a person was able to move their hand uh, voluntarily, they knew that they were moving it. Uh, but if they had like a shock thing that happened, or, or it was artificially done, where <laughs> where uh, their finger was moved involuntarily, uh, then they were able to tell the difference between whether they did it or whether it was involuntarily done. So uh, that really kind of speaks to. I mean, in other words, I think he's argued that if all we are is uh, is is just the body, then we wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that. There are other things even better than that, that we can mention. I think NDEs yeah. are good evidence that. Um, 
that the the conscious self exists beyond uh, the human body. But I think the clincher, in my opinion, is found in the physical state of humanity. So get this. Every, if you say that human beings are just the body and nothing more, you have a problem because every nine years, the body can t- completely changes producing new cells. The body completely changes every nine years so that every tenth year, the cells in your body are completely different than they were ten years ago. So here's the problem. If all you are is a body and nothing more, if you commit a crime 10 years ago, then you couldn't be held accountable for that crime because physically speaking, you're a completely different person than you were 10 years ago. If, if all the person is is a body, then you can never hold a person accountable for their actions. But we all know that that's foolishness because we know that there is something about us that is consistent, that maintains... And we know that to be the immaterial self, the, the, the subconscious or the soulish uh, who, uh, who we are, the, the, that which makes us who we are. Right. And so when you claim or when you could um, say um, that, quote-unquote, well, that's just human nature, that wouldn't be the physical. That would be the, 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 the you could say, the soul yeah in, a, accompanied by the 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 physical uh, absolutely okay yeah so let's dig let's dig into this what are the different theories um on the intermediate state then to save time i'll, I'll just hit just hit the highlights here so first of all the first two are monistic viewpoints the last three are uh dualist viewpoints and so, first of all, you have what's called soul death. Soul death, or otherwise called in the Christian viewpoint, Christian mortalism, is the idea that, uh, that, uh, that we, we die and that the hope of the resurrection, that when we die, our soul dies with us, that we're dead, non-existent at that point. And for the individuals who hold this viewpoint, they would argue that the Christian hope is found in the resurrection where, where our bodies are rejuvenated and revigorated, uh, that we, we become alive again. So there's nothing between. So they would argue that there's nothing between in the intermediate state that you just cease to exist between death and the resurrection. And interestingly, there have been some individuals who've held this view. Uh, It's even been suggested that Martin Luther had hints of holding this view. Now, I can't confirm or deny that, but I've read a few uh, things that seem to suggest that he did. But now, here's the interesting thing. This viewpoint was condemned by the church very early on. For instance, Eusebius of Caesarea, who writes, uh, what was it, 3rd, 4th century, I think it was, he wrote that a group in Arabia were proclaiming that the soul died at death. Oregon of Alexandria, whether you love them or hate them, came to speak to them and persuaded them to cast aside this foreign doctrine. Now, here is what Eusebius writes. I'm going to read it to you verbatim as is found in his ecclesiastical history. And he writes, and I quote, About the same time, others arose in Arabia, putting forward a doctrine foreign to the truth. They said that during the present time, the human soul dies and perishes with the body, but that at the time of the resurrection, they will be renewed together. And at that time, also a synod of considerable size assembled, 
and Oregon, again uh, being again invited thither, spoke publicly on the question with such effect that the opinions of those who had formerly fallen were changed. Mm. So they changed their tune when the truth was spoken. <laughs> mm. Wow. So, does, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, the other view, the second view, is called soul sleep. This is comparable to yeah. soul death. Um, there's there's a group out there called the Amazing Facts Ministries. Uh, they're right. they're closely yeah. aligned with uh, the Seventh Day Adventist Church. I believe they either hold to this view or the first view. But soul sleep is the idea that uh, the soul hovers with the body and it just basically sleeps. Some people even go so far, they have what I call the Star Trek view. They believe that um, when you die, you just warped into time to the final resurrection so that when you die, you know, you, you see Jesus coming in the final resurrection, but it's only going to, even if it's a thousand years or more, it's only going to appear as a few seconds. You're just time warped into that future point. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Uh, and so those are the two monistic viewpoints. But even within dualism, we have to be careful because there's a couple other dualist positions out there that we that we probably we need to you know say that this, they're not right. So there's one called the transmigrational oneness view, and this is found in a lot of New Age philosophies, Eastern religions, and New Age uh, viewpoints. Uh, believe that the soul may reincarnate or pass through different states until it reaches that final state with God. And so in this viewpoint, there may not be a resurrection, but it may go through endless circles until a person gets right with God, very similar to reincarnation in Hinduism and Buddhism. The Gnostic viewpoint, which was, uh, which was discarded by the church very early on, believes that the spiritual side is good and the material side is evil. Therefore, in the Gnostic viewpoint, the soul lives on and there is no final resurrection. Uh, there's no new heaven, new earth. But the church rejected this. And so this brings us to the final viewpoint, which I hold to be the right one. And I believe this is, this is what the Scripture teaches. It's called soul survival. In this viewpoint, the soul departs from the body in the intermediate state and lives with God in that time period of the intermediate state, but at the time of the resurrection returns to the body, is is resurrected in that new pneumatokasoma, that glorified body, the spiritual body, and is transformed into a new state, a, a, a union of spirit and body together. And this is, in my opinion, what the Bible teaches. And I, I stand very strong on this. Yeah. So well, when, well, go ahead. There's many scriptures that that point to that. Um, yeah. 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 Hmm. Go ahead. It, I was just I was just going to say that um, um, in when we're talking about NDEs, if you hold to a monistic viewpoint, well, let, let me back up. The only system where NDEs wouldn't work is if you hold to soul death or soul sleep. That's the only system where they wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Now, we can, by, 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 by default, reject the uh, transmigrational or reincarnation viewpoint and the Gnostic viewpoint because of the hope we have of the final resurrection. But right. I think if you hold that... 
in my opinion, I think the, the the greatest amount of evidence suggests that soul survival is the biblical view, and in this case, you really don't have any problem with NDEs whatsoever. Mm-hmm. In fact, we would anticipate these events to happen. Right. So, which viewpoint best matches the biblical data? I think we kind of figured that one out. Absolutely, it, it's it's soul survival. I, that's that's yeah. an easy answer. <laughs> Yeah. So survive. In yeah. fact, I think it's the only one. If you take the totality of biblical data, both Old Testament and New, um, it's the only thing that fits. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think I think there's there's multiple scriptures, um, obviously in the New Testament that that point that out. But um, there's things also in the Old Testament. You know that kind of help solidify that idea too. Absolutely. And so now, when, whenever I look at the scriptures, what, what I'm going to what I do is because I think there is such a wealth of information out there to defend soul survival. I, I'm going to go to the most important person, and that's Jesus. And I mm-hmm. want to understand his theology. I want to understand. I want to understand his ethical system. I want to see how he approaches this and how he interprets. Because even in the Old Testament, the, the greatest lens in understanding the Old Testament is through Jesus because if he is who he says he is, if he's the Son of God, then then how he is telling us how he views the Old Testament is, is the accurate viewpoint. Um, and that's not to say that we shouldn't do the historical studies. Absolutely we should to understand the Old Testament. I'm not saying that, but... As Christians, as believers, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the Son of God, then we're going to cast our understanding of the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus' interpretation of what he right. came to do and what God was doing through him. Mm. So I think there's actually four passages of Scripture that, uh, well, three from Jesus. And the fourth one from Paul. And the reason I bring up Paul is because some people claim that Paul is is um, different from Jesus, which is uh, it's just poppycock. It's, not, it's a bunch of hogwash. It's not no. There's no truth in that. So I'm going to use three scriptures from Jesus and one from Paul. First one is in Luke 23:43, and these are the words of Jesus on the cross. While hanging on the cross, if you recall the story. There are two criminals by his side. There may have been many others there with Jesus on that on that fateful day, but right. the two are mentioned and recorded in Scripture. One on his one side who condemns Jesus and says, "Why don't you save yourself and us too?" And the other one who asks has a penitent heart and asks Jesus, saying, "Jesus, when you enter your kingdom, remember me." And do you remember what Jesus said to him? Yeah. Uh. Today you will be with me in paradise. Exactly. Now, some people try to do gymnastics with that passage of Scripture, hermeneutical gymnastics, and they'll try to say, well, he's really talking about the resurrection because Jesus, he didn't go immediately to heaven. That's that's getting around the the scenario because Jesus is talking about the paradise that he's established. He's he's saying that that you're going to be with me in the place where I'm going to be today. Right. He didn't say tomorrow. Today. He didn't say at the resurrection. He didn't say at the end of time, because yeah. if if you recall, even in in John 11, Martha tried to use that interpretation to say, I believe that Lazarus will arise at the last day. 
Here, Jesus says, today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. Yeah. Interesting, because if you read the text plainly, without having to bring a worldview into it, you wouldn't have any, or, or a, a different view into it, you wouldn't have any um, question what was being said there. I agree wholeheartedly. Because because yeah. he is he is the the criminal is asking for entrance into the kingdom and, and and there's another teaching we're going to talk about here that further illustrates Jesus's point in this matter, but um, but I don't think there's any way. I mean, there are some hermeneutical gymnastics out there that's done to try to push this to a different interpretation, but I think the plain, clear reading of the scripture uh, that provided comfort to this criminal on that day. Was the and it isn't interesting. It is one that the criminal was going to paradise on that very day. And isn't it interesting that while Jesus was hanging on the cross in excruciating pain, he still concerned himself with others' needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, which scripture defend? Uh, which scriptures defend the soul survival perspective? So I would go back and say Luke twenty three forty three is one. I would also mm-hmm. say Luke sixteen nineteen through thirty one, and this is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now this is very important for us to understand. Jesus tells the story of two men who died. One was a poor man of faith named Lazarus, and the other one was an unnamed rich man. Which, by the way, in historical context, would have been weird. Because normally if you have a rich man, the rich man would have been named and the poor guy would have been forgotten. Yet Jesus right. mentions the, the poor man, the beggar named Lazarus, and doesn't mention the rich man. Lazarus, now now this guy, understand here, Lazarus was so hungry that he would eat the crumbs off of the rich man's table. This tells us that the rich man was so such a horrid man that he saw Lazarus dying from starvation and would still not feed him, even though he was wealthy enough to feed thousands, hundreds of thousands. He saw Lazarus dying, and he did not help Lazarus out at all. The, the rich man went to Hades, which is the spiritual holding place, the spiritual hell now, if you want to talk, it's worded that way. And it's important to note that Lazarus went to paradise the spiritual abode until the final resurrection, the place where we go, paradise, the spiritual state. Um, the two men went to these, these spiritual abodes immediately after their death. And, and notice what happens here. Some people will say, well, maybe Jesus is talking about the end of time. Look what the rich man does at the end of the parable. He asks Father Abraham, notice what he says, Go tell my brothers not to come here. Now, that means that his brothers were still alive on earth while he was in Hades and Lazarus was in paradise. So it's important and, to catch and that. He could still recognize, and he could still recognize or remember yes, that he had brothers. Absolutely. He could still recognize that he had brothers. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, which was a way of saying they have the word of God. And he said, well, you know, why don't you go, and if you were to go and you were to have a man die and rise from the dead, maybe they would believe that person. And Abraham says, well, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, neither will they believe if a man were to rise from the dead and speak to them. So very interesting. Right. Now, I think that even, even stronger than that 
is John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. In this passage of Scripture, this is at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus tells Martha that uh, her brother Lazarus is going to rise again. And she says, I know he's going to rise again at the last day. But Jesus says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in the one who um, believes in me will never die or or uh, shall live. And then he goes on to say in the Greek language, he says, "Kai pas hozoing kai pistuon eis ime o me apothane eis to aona," which in other words means, "And everyone who lives and believes in me will know not never die." Now, in English, that's bad English to use a triple negative there. But in the, in the Greek language, what that did was it's intensifying the emphasis of what's being said. So Jesus is saying that it is impossible for the child of God to really die because as we are absent from this body, we are present with the Lord. Jesus clearly taught that in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and he's emphasizing that fact now. But because if he's only teaching the resurrection, he would have merely said, Martha, I'm the resurrection, I'm the anastasis. But he says, I'm the anastasis, the resurrection, and the zoe, I am the resurrection and the life. Life referring to that spiritual state. We also have uh, another passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10, where Paul talks about his own NDE experience. Um, and most likely this happened when he was stoned in Lystra. Uh, he was stoned at a, at a point in time in Lystra, left for dead, and many scholars believe that that might have been when he had this encounter. But he talks about going to a third heaven, indicating that he left the earth, the universe, and was taken into God's abode. Paul's experience of heaven left him puzzled and amazed and even says that he may have been out of the body and he heard words that he could only describe as inexpressible in 2 Corinthians 12.4. It is also in 2 Corinthians where Paul reflects on his desire as we just read at the outset of the podcast, 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. But notice also he says here, that in a spiritual state, it's like a form of nakedness. Our desire is to have that glorified body where the soul and body unite together and that pneumatica soma, that spiritual body that is absolutely a new state of existence that is to come. Whew. I'm about to start preaching. <laughs> Give it up. So... The last question here, given this information on soul survival, how do NDEs fit within the biblical worldview? I think they fit well. Now, that's not to say that with some of these cases, and and in our next podcast, we're going to talk about the objective evidence because we can't prove what a person claims to see on the other side. Um, And, you know, we're going to have a podcast where we're going to deal with objections to NDEs, and we'll talk about working through some of these objections, and uh, and and um, and even I want to give a little acronym about how to handle NDE experiences, and I'll probably do that on the next podcast as well. Um, mm-hmm. But that these encounters happen, that these experiences happen, is something that we should actually anticipate, because if Jesus is right. If Paul is right, if the context of Scripture is right, and soul survival is the accurate position, 
then we would anticipate that we are going to have conscious spiritual experiences, visual experiences, auditory experiences, even outside the body. How that works, I don't know. But we still have them outside the body and are able to know certain things as it, as it was shown in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So if you take the soul survival position, NDEs not only fit within the worldview, but they actually should be anticipated as encounters that would be that would happen uh, when we leave the body, because to be absent right. from this body is to be present with God, with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. There's and you know, like Paul even has had experiences. Um, you know, in there he says, uh, you know, in the third heaven. You know, if I was taken to the third heaven, I don't know. You know. Yeah, and it's and it's evident. Some people will say, "Well, maybe he was talking about someone else," but if you follow the context of what he what he's saying, he then later goes on to say that he doesn't want to brag about himself. So it's like he's talking about himself in third person, and he says, "I don't want to brag about myself, but I want to brag about the Lord." That the, the mm-hmm. transition doesn't make it appear as if he's talking about someone else. It's as if he's talking about himself in the third person, and then he's giving God the glory for that encounter that he had. Yeah. Yeah. And he says the things that he that he saw there would be unlawful for him to speak of. And yeah. I don't think that that was, I don't think that that, what he means there is that, um, that it's illegal for him to say. I think it's right. just he has no way to, no way for him to be able to describe what it is. And you hit the nail on the head. And I, and I think, and I kind of wonder if John didn't have a similar kind of experience when he recorded yeah. the book of Revelation. And I think that's why in a lot of apocalyptic literature, if they're having actual encounters, it's difficult to explain. I mean, so how are you going to explain, for instance, how are you going to explain a, 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 a an area where time no longer exists? How are you going to explain a, a location where there are colors different than what we encounter now? Or Yeah, where's the words coming for that? H- how do you describe that? Well, what you have to do is you have to use things that you understand and relate that back to people. So I think that's why in some of these cases you hear some wonky things that may not make sense, but it may just be that person's um, that person's way of trying to describe what they saw. And and le- for that reason, and we're going to talk about this within the upcoming podcast, I think we have to use great care about building any theological system or any theology on the experiences that people have on the other side because they're using what they understand to describe yeah. in their own yeah. way what they've seen and heard. And um, and they're going to interpret that through their own worldview. Yeah. And if you think about it, maybe the way they're describing a a something they see, um, maybe the way they're describing it is something that maybe um, holds a commonality that we all would know, like, you know, you're talking about a bright light or you're talking about um, certain certain things that they that they had seen or or taken part in but that's there's actual 
reports from the NDEs that would verify their experience without other people's knowledge or without others' knowledge, right? Yeah, and that's actually going to be the topic of our next podcast. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think I think we should just go ahead and end it right there. That's then, a good Ryan, segue. Think, Excellent segue. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll just uh, we'll just end right there, and uh, we uh, we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and is a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristie.com now and submit your question.